everyone, and thank you for listening to the 22nd ever episode of the Missouri Sports Podcast, brought to you by 106 Apparel and recording from the Revel Advertising Studio in beautiful Springfield, Missouri. I'm one of your hosts, Cameron Albert, alongside my good friend and fellow Mizzou fan, Kyle DeVries. How are you doing today, Kyle? I'm doing great, Cameron. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. I am doing well because I didn't have to work today. That's fantastic. Because I work at a school and we get a lot of time off for holidays and it is the greatest thing about my life. Just uh, making producer Cameron and I jealous. Yes, just had a row in your faces. Also, I uh, I discovered my Spotify Rewind for 2018 today. That was oh. kind of cool. Have you taken a look at yours? Um, unfortunately, I have. Um, for the listeners out there, all three of us, producer Cameron included, very much enjoy Spotify and uh, myself in particular i always look forward to the uh, year in review that they send out um however this year something unfortunate happened my wife shares the account with me you guys know emily oh yeah uh her music infiltrated my list to a degree that i'm not comfortable with oh no so um, for anybody that hasn't looked at their Spotify wrapped this year or don't have Spotify, it breaks down some stats for you, like your first song, which according to this was by Florida Georgia Line, um, <laughs> which is somebody that I don't listen to. And the first artist I discovered this year was Zendaya. Um, I liked her in Spider-Man Homecoming, but I have not listened to her nice. music. So the worst part of all is when it came to the top artists of the year for me. Oh, no. My top artist was White Noise. Oh, God. That sounds <laughs> that's, horrible. That's, that sounds scary. That's not a real band. That is what my wife <laughs> listens to when she tries to sleep during the day because she works at night as a nurse. Oh, wow. I so, legitimately was like, what What kind of music is that? <laughs> when he first told me, that's what I thought, too. I was like, what the hell is that? Yeah. Wow. So, that is really, that's really sad. Are you going to have to kick her off the account? Uh, we have already purchased a Spotify family account. <laughs> After <laughs> oh, this that debacle. is hilarious. Uh, top, or, top artist, White Noise for Baby Sleep. <laughs> Who do you think your top artist would be? Well, I can see my uh, third, fourth, and fifth. Hmm. Or, or actually, yeah, fourth through, what am I trying to say? Second, third, fourth, and fifth. Because number one is white noise for baby noise, for babies. For baby sleep. <laughs> noise. Baby noise? <laughs> That'd be creepy if it was baby noises. <laughs> Just like constant baby, like crying and stuff. She does work in the maternity ward. True. The top uh, top two songs are both white noise related. An- another one is purely something that only she listens to. Another one is something that we both listen to, so that skyrocketed it up there. But uh, producer Cameron, do you think you could guess what the four artists that are on my top five are besides White Noise? White Stripes. White Stripes are number two. That was the easy one that yeah. came to mind. Yeah. White Noise and White Stripes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. That's why <laughs> when he first told me, told I was like, like oh, "That's like weird." Like, <laughs> Emily's <laughs> like, "Oh, you got a band." It's a spinoff. Yeah. yeah. Um, Kendrick. Kendrick Lamar is number four. I'm trying to think of the one that you both listen to. Is that White Stripes? Uh, these four are are me. Oh, just you. Yeah. Oh. Uh, what genre? John Bellion. Yeah. No, John Bellion didn't oh, make it. Good guess. Come on, this is easy. Probably. Tech Nine. 
Oh, uh, yeah. oh my frick. How and did I not think of that? Dirty Heads. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Some nice variety there. Yeah. Mine had, How did I not think it took Mine had a lot of uh-huh. weird variety as well. My uh, top artist was A Perfect Circle, which doesn't surprise you, the one of you guys, I'm sure. No, I could pick that. Uh, is The weekend on there? It is also on there. Oh, yeah. Uh, Post Malone. Yeah. It was a good year for him. Red Hot Chili Peppers. Uh-huh. And Pussifer, ah. which is a side project of Maynard James Keenan, if you guys are familiar with who that is. And if Tool was on Spotify, that would have been, been there as be well. Easily my number one. <laughs> <laughs> if you guys... Uh, have similar taste to us then let us know yeah we can all be friends with you producer cameron had a bunch of country probably and john bellion no i didn't have any country in my top artists i had nf who's a christian rapper uh jake miller black bear love and imagine dragons ah yeah imagine dragons very nice so i thought i would share that that uh how many discovery minutes did you listen to well i listened to youtube a lot because on my computer it works i don't use spotify all the time but i think i had like thirteen thousand maybe i had forty six thousand but some of that was white noise <laughs> i had and i listen to music every day when i work so i sit at a computer all day i listen to eighty one thousand minutes that's insane and that doesn't count listening in the car because i don't listen to spotify in the car Jeez. yeah i wish I don't, it would tell you what percentile that is of all spotify listeners yeah. They could do but a lot more much, with stats. I feel like oh everybody gosh, probably yes. has those kind of things that are like, well, I use it to sleep, yeah. so it's on all night and that kind of right. stuff. But And I can't listen on my computer because it's blocked on my computer at right. work. But Well, that was fun. That was a nice uh, change that was a nice of pace. exercise. Yeah. Um, some people probably just fast-forwarded through that, which is totally fine. <laughs> um, but we have a nice show today. We are going to look at some signing day news for football. Um I've got a new uh, segment for Kyle that's a surprise for him. Mm, can't um, wait. We're going to recap the Mizzou basketball win over Xavier, preview Illinois, and then do another uh, whatever happened to um, Mizzou basketball mm. player. Now you got lots of surprises for me this episode. Yes. So we will start by jumping into the news. And uh, first news item is a big one. Missouri is now officially transfer you uh, at least for quarterbacks, because <laughs> they got uh, former TCU quarterback Sean Robinson to commit. So he is ineligible this coming season. So if you're listening to this, you're probably not confused by this, but a lot of people on Twitter were confused. He is not eligible next season. Kelly Bryant will play next season. Kelly Bryant will graduate, have no eligibility left, and then Robinson will be eligible. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, this is another quality pickup for Mizzou and obviously the quarterback position is probably the most important on the field that you want to be comfortable uh with who's running the offense so uh another thing this kind of screams to me is that not only is the Mizzou coaches not only are they not comfortable with the quarterbacks on the roster but they're not comfortable with them being here very long so I would not be surprised whatsoever to see probably at least one or two quarterbacks transfer from Missouri's roster in the next couple months yeah I would say two I would set the over under at two and a half Mm -hmm. because two seems like it's definitely going to happen right and I I think even Lindsey Scott Jr. tweeted like interesting interesting, (laughs) dot 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 like after Sean Robinson committed so um maybe he's just uh interested for a nice competition new friend yeah yeah I'm sure uh so yeah Sean Robinson's going to uh battle for the 
starting spot in 2020, I guess that would be, against uh, whoever's still here and potentially Connor Bazelak as well. Yeah. We were... We've been talking about how exciting next year's uh, quarterback competition was going to be, but with Kelly Bryant, that's mm-hmm. pushed back a year or so right. now. And I think I said to you, it, it's been a really, really long time since we've had a legitimate quarterback battle in the offseason where we go into the season not knowing who's going to be playing the quarterback. Is That'll be kind of fun to watch, I'm sure. Yeah, I feel like there was some... I'm trying to think like when... Matty Mock and yeah, Drew like Locke. If, if Tyler Gabbert had stayed around, maybe he would have competed. But I can't... Would he have been competing with Matty Mock? I, can, I honestly can't remember. The timeline's kind of hazy. Yeah, Matty Mock kind of took over. There was potential for some competition there um, at one point, but roster attrition kind of took care of that yeah. before the coaches had to make a decision. So. so has it been like before James Franklin since we had like a legitimate, I don't know who's going to play the quarterback this year discussion? Well, I mean, Blaine Gabbert before him, he and then he took the so job straight from... So when James from, Franklin took over, I honestly don't even remember at the yeah, time. I don't know. If there was competition between him and someone else. I don't know. But uh, 2020 should be a good one. Mm-hmm. And... Then we'll move on to National Signing Day because there's just news galore uh, always. And it's the early signing period, which is now basically the new National Signing Day. You're right. If, if you're not signing on the December date, you either have academic problems or you're not sure where you're going to go. So pretty much all the, all the guys who were solidly committed uh, signed yesterday. And I think everybody that Mizzou expected to sign, they did yesterday. So it was a really good day yesterday, honestly. Like, with, um, with that being said, I mean, we signed everybody that we expected to. There were no bad surprises. I can't remember the last time that's happened where we haven't, you know, been nervous right before signing day about certain people because that happens every year where I'm like, oh, we're probably going to lose this guy, and it happens sometimes. But yesterday we, we signed everybody we wanted to and, and then some as well. So is there – who are some names that you – that, like – that the listeners should be aware of that maybe guys you like in particular? Well, I mean, there's there's the obvious guys that are highly ranked, like Jelani Williams, and then there's Jack Buford. You know, everybody knows those guys. But Williams was the highest-ranked player in this class. Correct, yep. Um, but I think some guys that we should be excited about that maybe are going a little um, under the radar right now. I mean, for one, Jamie Petway, I'm really excited about him. We got him yesterday. His, um, uh, did you see, I'm sure you saw his um, announcement video. Yes. He went the furthest with a fake out yes. that I've ever seen. Yeah. He actually put a Tennessee hat on his head. For like a while. Yeah. And then took it off and threw it yes. like, uh, like onto the ground and then put on a Mizzou hat. Mm-hmm. And In his video, there's, you can kind of see this girl's head that's close to the camera. And it looks like she's like freaking out whenever he puts the Tennessee hat, like looking around everyone, like what? <laughs> and, and I don't. And then obviously he puts the Missouri hat on, and everybody goes crazy. But yeah, that was uh, quite the troll job. But anyways, so I'd be excited about Jamie. Um, another guy that I'm I'm really excited about is Luke Griffin. Uh, he's an offensive lineman from Georgia. I think he's going to be um, a big part of the offense going forward for years. And then another guy is Stacy Brown, who is a cornerback from Texas, and I think he's going to be a great player. So I'm honestly really excited about this class. It's really hard to deem a class, you know, good or bad, because at this point it seems 
every class always seems good, but this this class especially I, I I'm really excited about, and I think we got some some really quality players. Um, two guys in the article that I saw that hadn't signed yet were Shamar Shamarl Pearl and Arvel Ferguson, both uh, defensive ends. Mm-hmm. Did their uh, at this point it's probably academic issues. Yeah. Um, I don't really know much more than that. I mean, hopefully, uh, it does. It doesn't make sense to sign people that you're not sure are going to be eligible. Right. So, uh, it just looks like Mizzou probably told those guys, "We can't sign you yet until we right. know you're going to be eligible." But hopefully, those guys can um, figure something out before the February date, because that's kind of the whole thing with Duran Davis. I think it was right. a couple of years ago, and who knows where he is right now? Honestly, I guess he's still at JUCO, but um, a guy we were excited about. It was like the first commit of that class and then never showed up. Yeah, um, one thing that I thought was interesting that I want to throw in here was um, Nick Saban. Did you see what what he had to say about the early signing period? He was a little bit upset because... Because they missed a week. Yeah, like he he said, well, you know, he's been in practice and game and working on, like, you know, figuring out what he's going to do for these, uh, the SEC championship and the... Um, college football playoff so you know he doesn't really have as good of opportunity to recruit here in the last few days of this early period and I don't know I just thought that was yeah. kind of funny like, we don't feel sorry like for anybody you. is going to feel sorry for Nick Saban when it comes to college football recruiting yeah yeah that was kind of funny I did I did see that actually but it just seemed like this recruiting cycle uh, we just hit on so many guys that we were going all out for and I've been following recruiting really closely for, I don't know, four or five years now, and I don't feel like that's ever really happened in to this capacity before. I feel like there's always a few guys where I want really bad and we really roll out the red carpet for, but still just aren't able to get them. But this year, I mean, we followed Jack Buford for a long time before he committed, and then obviously Jelani Williams and some of these in-state guys where I'm just like, there's no way they end up here, right? And, uh, and sure enough, here they are. So um, it just seems like there's a lot of momentum on the field and in recruiting and there's a lot to be excited about um there's also a lot that these guys could all be terrible and (laughs) you know there's nothing to be excited about with but i i think that would uh that's not gonna happen yeah that'd be pretty surprising for a lot of these guys Mm -hmm. so it sounds like we got everybody we wanted but was there i'm trying to remember was there anybody that like who did we miss on this year like uh, I mean, there was a few defensive players in the last few weeks that we had for in for a visit, and they ended up going elsewhere. And I'm not sure if they just genuinely wanted to go elsewhere or if we had other guys in front of them. I don't really know. Um, and there's a, another uh, junior college defensive end that it's the number one junior college player in the nation. I can't remember his name. Chester Graves. Yeah. Yeah, he's definitely would be a massive impact player immediately. Uh, we I remember wanting him really bad when he was coming around as a freshman, um, but yeah, he's he's been an incredible player in JUCO, which surprises nobody. Uh, but he is a massive academic risk, and I'm not sure if he what's going to happen with him. I don't know if he'll sign somewhere in February, um, or if he won't sign anywhere. I really don't know. But if he does sign somewhere, I think Mizzou's got a really really good shot. But we did get a few new guys yesterday. Um, Darius Robinson, uh, he was a guy that I'm. I don't think anybody really knew what who he was going to pick until maybe less than 24 hours before uh, he announced his decision. 
got a Juco defensive tackle in Chris Daniels. He was a former Texas Longhorn guy and then went the Juco route. So he's going to rejoin with Jordan Elliott on the yeah, inside. I was going to say that worked out for our last uh, Texas player. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we got a linebacker, Devin Nicholson, and I think he's from Detroit, um, which honestly I don't know much about him. I hadn't really heard a whole lot about him. Um, but he visited uh, Toledo um, like a week ago, and I think some people thought that maybe Mizzou had moved on, but I guess that was not the case. So maybe he was just uh, checking out Toledo since they're kind of a regional school. But And then obviously Jamie Petway, we got him yesterday. So a really nice haul for the defense um, yesterday, and some of those guys were, were not shoe-ins. So it was, it was just an all-around great signing day. Yeah, it seemed like kind of sort of uneventful like we didn't have any big flips either direction it mm-hmm. was there was no uh demaria crockett flipping from right boise state situation we didn't lose any big flips either mm-hmm. it was just yeah kind of by the numbers and any of the flips we had came before signing day and, right. and we're here ready to go um there was one more guy uh who i think speaking of flips uh could flip to missouri he just decommitted from pittsburgh today oh right um and i forgot to write down his name is that brandon, brandon mack, mack I think. Yeah. yes brandon mack is a uh, defensive end who visited missouri within the last couple of months and uh yeah like i said decommitted from pittsburgh today and i think that he's very likely going to come here so that will be yet another piece for the missouri defense potentially yeah i'm all for uh, competition at the defensive end spot because it's been lacking uh, at least this past year yeah and especially with uh, trey williams probably not returning yeah exactly well, anything else about signing day? I think we we covered all the main topics. We could, I feel like we could talk. Yeah, at least you could talk football recruiting. Uh, you know, for hours we could do yeah. a whole episode on that. But yeah, I think that uh, pretty much covers it. Okay, um, we'll switch gears a little bit and talk basketball recruiting. Um, there's a Michigan Michigan guard named Jalen Terry, and uh, he posted a top five schools of Mizzou, Iowa, Iowa State, Michigan State, and Mississippi State. And he's going to announce his decision on December 27th. So once again, um, this has been a common theme with this um, coaching staff. We see guys just kind of come out of nowhere and either take official visits or post top five schools and Missouri's on them when we don't really know much about them. So um this, it would kind of surprise me if he committed to Missouri. I think based on the things I was reading, nobody really expects that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. Have you heard much about him? I honestly don't know much about him. Uh, it probably would surprise me just because I'm not sure we're looking for guard help right now. It seems right. like we've got a lot of young guards on the team right now, and we've got Mario McKinney committed. I know yeah. we – Conzo loves you know guards, but – I mean, and who doesn't? But I'm not sure that we really – need him right now um so yeah it would surprise me if if we got jail and terry but you never know um a guard that i really hope we get is 2020 guard caleb love um he will be in attendance he announced for the bragging rights game uh saturday against illinois so yeah even more motivation to beat up on illinois although honestly i don't feel like illinois is a strong contender for his services at the next level um if Missouri's going to lose him, I think it'll be to a more prestigious and yeah, I would successful say school. Indiana is probably a yeah. pretty big factor in his recruitment. Uh, yeah, I'm not really worried about Illinois. He, I, he will be on the Illinois 
side of things, though, uh, because Illinois is the home team. They're able to host recruits and um, that kind of stuff. So he'll be sitting behind the Illinois bench, even though I think Missouri has a better chance of landing him. Yeah, and I, I mean, just I just hope Missouri performs well. It's always good to perform well in front of recruits, although winning, I mean, just because if they lose this game, it's not like, oh, well, now they lost his recruitment. I right. mean, we saw it's that nice on the football side when, when Kelly Bryant visited the Kentucky game right. and they lost in a heartbreaking fashion. Everybody was kind of like, oh, what a what an opportunity that right. they missed out on here. And it, obviously it did not matter. He still is coming to Missouri. So, yeah, it doesn't uh, hurt. Absolutely doesn't right. hurt. But, uh, yeah, I, I know what you're saying. And it's just good to, I mean, beat the other teams that were fighting for recruits with you know mm-hmm. we're always going to be going for those local guys against illinois so yeah it's just good to uh to say hey we beat we beat illinois so yeah um and then last bit of basketball news i just uh was perusing the g league st- stats today uh for whatever reason and i saw that uh, former missouri state forward alizé johnson is averaging 19 points per game and 13 and a half rebounds per game for the Fort Wayne Mad Ants, the uh, Indiana, <laughs> I've never even heard of them. Indiana Pacers affiliate. That's cool. Um, he actually played for the Pacers just uh, barely uh, this season and mm. has been sent back down. But it looks like he's tearing it up there against inferior competition. Yeah, he's uh, got a great motor, great rebounder. Yeah, that's exactly what you want to see, though. From if if he's ever going to make it, you know, an extended stay in Indianapolis, it's going to be because he just dominates in the G League. Mm-hmm. All right, so now that we're done with the news, um, I have kind of a surprise for you, Kyle. A new segment. This might be a one-time thing, but it, uh, it's, it's kind of random, but I just wanted to bring it up. This segment is called Dream Time with Cameron and Kyle <laughs> <laughs> because I had not one but two Mizzou-related dreams this past week, and I need you to interpret them for me and see if they maybe oh my God. are predictions or something like that. So, first one. In this dream, you and I attended the University of Missouri. Okay. And I was getting books or something in a common area. And what do you know? Here walks Jeff Thomas. (laughs) (laughs) And if you showed me a picture of him, I would not know it was him necessarily. You just kind of knew it was him. I was like, oh, it's Jeff Thomas. And I was like, oh, hey, what are you doing here? You're going to school here? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, you didn't announce anything. He was like, no, I'm going to. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, you're on the football team and stuff? He's like, yeah. And I was like, "Um, well, I do a podcast (laughs) about Mizzou football. Do you think you could come on sometime? And he was like, yeah, absolutely. And then I said, you could even make your announcement on there if you wanted to. (laughs) And he was like, yeah, just, yeah, like, let me know. I'll, I'll come on anytime. And then um, I immediately had to come find you and tell you. Right. And I knew that we had our first class together of the day. But what I couldn't, class was it? I couldn't remember. <laughs> oh, my God. So I was freaking out. And I was like, okay, well, I know if I find Kyle, I'll be at the right class. Uh, I guess. Good luck. And I, but I found you. Oh, my God. And... Uh, we were doing group projects, but I found you and told you, uh, like, hey, Jeff Thomas is here. And then I started on my group project. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That has to mean he's going to come to Mizzou, right? I mean, I literally <laughs> dreamt it. He's going to pass all of his 
academic stuff and get a waiver and that's like that's what it means yeah and just so everyone knows if you were daydreaming or something this is a dream jeff thomas has not <laughs> announced he's coming to Missouri <laughs> yet we're interpreting my we're dream. interpreting cameron's dream um that is neat that's yeah. exciting that yeah. i mean that is that's got a I, i'll put money on it so now and he's gonna come on the podcast <laughs> <laughs> yes absolutely Obviously. All right. Well, that was one. Okay. Uh, the second one, I had a dream that I made it as a walk-on to the <laughs> Missouri basketball team. Oh, and my God. Coach Conzo Martin told me that I just need to go pick up my uniform at the little spot where you pick up uniforms. In the dream, I knew exactly where that was. That easy, huh? Yeah. And I went over there. What number were you? I had options. Okay. 98 <laughs> which is not a basketball number 94 and i didn't really like either one of those and then she said uh, the person behind the counter said oh i actually also have 41 and i was like well that's better than at least that one's an actual basketball like you can do the numbers with one hand so i was number 41 so i went to try on my uniform and i noticed that it was reversible and on the reverse side, it was pink. And I thought, oh my gosh, they gave me a women's team uniform. I cannot believe this. So I had to go <laughs> I put this pink <laughs> uniform on and I had to go down to the uniform station and try to get a men's uniform. But And I went and talked to one of the assistant coaches. Um, for, I can't remember his name. Uh, Cornell Mann? No. The other one? Yes. Uh, shouldn't have said Cornell Man because I can't remember the other one. I know. Anyway, I the white guy. Yes, I specifically <laughs> went and talked to him and said, "Hey, they gave me the wrong uniform." And he was like, "Well, go get a new one." And then I woke up. Oh my god! So that's interpret- that was that a little yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm really good at interpreting dreams. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> I, that has got to mean that this year. A walk-on player is going to make a shot for Missouri. Okay. And it's going to be a three-point shot. Okay. And it's going to be... Because four minus one, 41. Because four minus one equals three. Yes. And there's a three-pointer on the court that you can shoot and Uh make a three-point shot. Okay. And that's all I got. I like it. That makes sense. Okay. So that has to happen. Okay. Okay. Wow. So if that does happen... I knew it. Yes. Okay. I just over <laughs> on the I, same and page. And I drummed it. Right. Okay. So wow, we're really onto something here. Yeah. Well, uh, that was dream time with uh, Cameron and Kyle. We, Those are very like vivid dreams. Like yeah. I, that's very that's I, well I have, documented. I have quite vivid dreams. I and, don't at all. Oh. Well, it's just like a blurb of weird colors. That's all I remember. <laughs> I see. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, those were real dream, real dreams. I did not make those up for this segment. There will probably we will not have this segment again, most likely because uh, maybe eventually. Eventually, well, uh, when those things come true, we will revisit oh, them. Sure, absolutely. And I will uh, give myself some clout, <laughs> some street cred <laughs> for, for interpreting those correctly. People are gonna. We haven't received any uh, much feedback on this podcast yet, but when those come true. Everybody is going to be sending their dreams to Kyle oh my to God. interpret. So it, it <laughs> might, start might be business. best if they don't come true, unless you want to make money off of it. Mm-hmm. We'll see. All right. 
so that was dream time. Next, we will move on to a more serious matter. We will recap Missouri's win over Xavier. Mm. This was a really fun game. Missouri won 71 to 56. And obviously, I did not predict that. I thought Xavier would win the game. But even people that picked Missouri to win did not expect them to win in the fashion that they did. And it was yeah. incredibly fun to watch. Yeah, they won by what, like 15? Yeah. It did and not at feel one that point, close. They were up by 29 points. It did not feel that close at all. It felt like a 25 point game the whole time. Like, even to the point where it kind of felt like Xavier quit, like in the second half. It was just like they have like given up. It's Their offense was not terrible. doing anything. Missouri's defense was good, obviously, just but. Suffocating them. Yeah. Yeah, it was. I said this to you earlier. It was so fun. And I kind of said this about, like, Missouri versus Arkansas football. Like, it was literally so fun that it was kind of, like, boring. It's like it almost just, was not that exciting that we beat Xavier because it didn't even feel like we didn't, did anything It didn't seem like they special. had to try. Yeah. They just dominated from start to finish. Yeah. So Jeremiah Tillman was amazing. He was pretty much the only offense early. Um, got the scoring started. And um, then for some reason – um, they trotted out a lineup of Penson, both Smiths, Torrance Watson, and Reed Nico, and that lineup was just not doing anything. So Xavier is... hung around while while though while that five was out there, but then as soon as uh, Tillman and Perrier came back in, they got five quick points. Then there was a Xavier Penson steal and layup, and then that kind of sparked a 17-0 run. I honestly did not even notice there was a 17 nothing run when watching it. Yeah. I mean, it was just an explosion. And Tillman was kind of at the center of that, and they were making shots. Tillman had a steal and, like, that was crazy. Sort of coast to coast layup. Yeah. Like, fast break. That was honestly, like, I was so surprised when that happened. I was like, oh, whoa. Like, he, like, took it. Yeah. Like you said, almost the full court. He almost blew the layup. He took, like, three steps. Yeah. Yeah, He almost, (laughs) his legs are so long. He almost missed the layup, but. Yeah, it looked very athletic. Yeah, and then he had another really athletic move where he saved the ball from going out of bounds on an offensive rebound, and then that got kicked to Moss Smith for a three, and that was just, it was just like everything was working. Mm-hmm. Uh, the offense was clicking in a way that we have not seen this year. Right. It was it was really incredible to watch. Yeah, d- obviously Tillman was just on another level uh, during this game, and if he can play like this, well, first of all. At the beginning of the game, he wasn't double teamed, and I just showed you're going to have to double team Tillman this yeah. year because he just took advantage of the guy that was trying to guard him. Because then, I, I mean, obviously he can just take it right to the basket, and if he doesn't, then he can. He's just going to. He has the ability to pass it out, and he was doing that too. So, um, yeah, for single coverage, you're gonna. It's going to take a basically an elite college post defender mm-hmm. to to stop him consistently yeah yeah if it's one-on-one so yeah that was really exciting to see Tillman like carry the team like we we know how talented he is we know how athletic he is but I'm not sure that he's ever truly like won Missouri a game because he's just dominant before yeah and this was his best game as a Missouri Tiger by far and it's kind of funny because a couple weeks ago we talked about a combination of players getting 30 and 15 and we were like, do you think Tillman would ever be able to get that by himself? And we were like, yeah, it seems like he should be able to eventually. Mm-hmm. And then this one, he gets 23 and 10, yeah, which is a long ways from 30 and 15. Like, that's a pretty big jump up to the next level stat-wise. But, mm-hmm. I mean, you but saw it, you saw the formula for how it would happen. Right, and everybody else was good enough around him this game to where he, 
he was really good, but didn't like he didn't need to force shots. He was really efficient. Didn't really take a whole lot of shots, and still. And had because they points. went on that huge run, they kind of put Xavier away and didn't have to keep you know the pressure beating on him. him. So yeah. if you know if that's a closer game, maybe they just keep going to him relentlessly, yeah. and mm-hmm. his numbers get even more inflated. But um, yeah, I mean, Missouri was shooting threes well. It just, I mean, not it wasn't their best game shooting threes, but. They just were kicking it out at the right time, finding guys that were open, using good off-the-ball off movement. But I think, honestly, the thing that impressed me most was the defense. Yeah. Does it feel like uh, Geist and Mark Smith, Ma Smith, have just really nice-looking shots? Like, I just feel like both of them just have very pretty-looking releases. And Smith, more so, in my opinion, his is just incredibly smooth. Mm-hmm. Geist, at times, has a little... I don't know what you would call it, like a a hitch at That's the very the top exact of the word shot. I was thinking. Yeah, where it's like I could just see a that. slight pause, and when that pause is elongated a little bit, he's gonna short. he's gonna miss a lot. But when it's closer to just a completely smooth release, which he's never really completely fluid in his release, but the, the closer it is to that, he's really consistent. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean. Yeah, Smith especially, though. And I think Watson has a really good shooting form, and Pickett's really quick with the ball out of his hands when he catches it, especially in the corner. So, I mean, honestly, this season I was really worried about, especially shooting from deep, who was going to sort of take up some of the three-point shooting that we saw from um, Robertson and Barnett last year because they were just so consistent Mm -hmm. and – I mean, if this continues throughout the season, that's incredible consistency at a very high level. Yeah, if they can sh- keep shooting this well and play defense like they did, I mean, who knows what they can do. I mean, they're not going to win the SEC or anything, but I think they will surpass expectations by far. Yeah. Yeah, the offense, we talked about it many times, how it was going to be the thing that held them back this season. but And it has at times. Right. But other times. And it will continue to. Yeah. They're gonna, this, the fact that they didn't have a drought in this game that was huge as far as building that giant lead Mm -hmm. and i mean i I think they kind of let their foot off the gas a little bit they were literally up by 29 points at one point and uh xavier finished the game on like a 23 to 9 run or something like that yeah to make it made a lot of like garbage time yeah more respectable and and garbage time was like from the eight minute mark on of the second half so yeah i just I love the development of this team. I love just the the, the uh, constant surpassing expectations yeah. of Conzo Martin's team so far at Missouri. It just seems like he's a great coach, and that's something that I'm not sure we've seen at Mizzou ba- with Mizzou basketball for a while. Is the team continuing to get better, you know, despite pretty significant challenges and things like yeah. that? Obviously, I've been high on Conzo Martin throughout his career so far um but if you look at the last few coaches that missouri has had i mean we know cam anderson frank haith was fine um he i don't think he got the most out of his players um but they seem to really like him and buy in mike anderson same thing he ran a system that produced wins um at home yeah, yeah. Um, Quinn Snyder, I didn't watch much of him. Um, I was, I'm too young. But uh, I mean, he underachieved 
I mean, as a Mizzou career, he underachieved. So the fact that Conzo Martin in his first two seasons most likely will overachieve based on preseason expectations, I just can't wait to see what he can do with a full team that that is what he expects it to be from mm-hmm. day one for yeah. a whole season. When he really gets the guys that he wants, and um, we've kind of started to see that a little bit with may- maybe Barry Odom's kind of starting to scratch the surface, kind of being able to implement some of the things he wants to do with his players. I would love to see that with Conzo and his players. So, you know, it's his second year. I think, you know, in those third and fourth years is when you really start to kind of gain, gain traction when you get those guys you want in the program and they've been around for a year or so and they, they start to get comfortable. So it, it could be very exciting. Yeah, I think um, speaking on the defense a little bit more, the Missouri forced 11 first-half turnovers, which if you do that, that's just – and combined with how the offense was clicking, I mean – Mm-hmm. You're just going to dominate a game. Yeah, I love uh, like Pinson, like that steal he had at the beginning of the game. Yeah. He just ripped it right out of the guy's hands and went in for a nice-looking layup. Mm-hmm. That was just such a great play. Yeah, yeah, he had a really good game. He, um, he like he, stuffed the stat sheet. Yeah, uh, including turnovers. Turned the ball over four times, which you don't like to see, but um, you expect that of young guards. So, you know, I'll take it if it goes along with five assists, three rebounds. Mm-hmm. What Were those his stats, five mm-hmm. and three? Okay like he had even more than that but he, he, he only was played everywhere. 16 minutes so yeah he did a lot in his time on the court um they they forced a ton of bad shots um from xavier in the second half and that was when they extended that lead out to 29 points there was a an alley-oop in the second half from uh mark smith to reed nico <laughs> kind of came out of nowhere not something you expect to see every night um nico and his like four inch <laughs> vertical i Honestly, like nothing against Reed, but to throw an alley oop to him has got to be a little bit more challenging than, say, throwing an alley oop to Jeremiah Tillman. He's not going to adjust. Yeah. Uh, You kind of got to put it in the perfect spot. Yeah. And Smith did, and it it looked really good. Mm -hmm. Um, And Pinson had that no look pass to Jeremiah Tillman for the dunk that was just silky smooth. Yeah. I I feel like uh, Pinson has had some of those passes this year, but they're just honestly so, (laughs) so good that they're person on the receiving end isn't ready for it right and it just like squirts out of bounds or they don't catch it and it gets turned you know it's a turnover or something but it would be nice to see the guys in the receiving end start to consistently catch those like Tillman did in this game yeah yeah when it because when it works like that it just looks so good mm-hmm. and I mean that's something that he'll just keep improving on and picking his spots better he's I think. such a like prolific passer like just so much touch on his passes and just he has a great court vision and I, I just really think we're gonna love watching Penson play yeah, his, his passing reminds me of, like, a less developed um, Phil Pressey. Like, the, the passes that Pressey made as a freshman, n- no freshman is really making those passes. I mean, he just was so confident and developed early. And maybe I'm looking at it with gold-tinted glasses because that was a while ago that he was a freshman. But I think we will remember... Um, Pinson being really inconsistent with turnovers as well as really nice flashy passes. But if he can get to, you know, get those turnovers under control and look more like Phil Pressey at some point in his career, I think that would, I mean, that's just exactly what this offense needs. Yeah. Did Phil Pressey ever completely get the turnovers under control in his time at Missouri? 
Well, I think he did. Well, his junior year, he did until two minutes the last to go in the two game. Two minutes of, of every single game. Yeah. And so he was never great at being the man, like the go-to guy at the end of games. No, at the end of games, no. He he was not the guy to close out a game. Um, his free throw shooting was good at best, so you couldn't really rely on him to, you know, put the game away at the free throw line and. It was just that one year was just insane. How many games literally slipped away from he us? Threw away, yeah, <laughs> because of turnovers. Literally throwing, throwing the, ball the ball out of bounds, bounds. yeah, to to throw the game away, and that was. He was like he was so good at getting his teammates involved, and that's what made him good for the other thirty-eight minutes of the game. But right. just in those, you know, when it's fight or flight moments, a lot of times players rise up, and it seemed like he kind of did the opposite. He and wanted kind of, to, he wanted to do he, too much himself. Yeah, he was. Right prepared to be the guy to win the game you know yeah he was the leader team leader upperclassman it just didn't i don't know just never, never worked happened. out yeah gosh every that, you bring back bad memories i was of gonna that. say remember that ucla game where he had like 19 assists that was insane that was one of the most that, that was such a fun game heartbreaking to watch, games yeah it was such a fun one though. i still think at the end of that game ucla should have been called for a flagrant foul when pressy would like got twirled around yes. in the air and stuff oh my gosh but yeah that was another one that was the the first one of that season that i think was just an insanely close game that should have been a missouri win mm-hmm. anyway missouri did close out this one because they had a pretty good cushion and um yeah, we were texting at halftime and you were like <laughs> yeah. this one's gonna end up being close or something yeah somehow, i was like isn't it? it's gonna fall apart at some point yeah like, when how does this fall apart? I'm and ready. I thought the same thing. I mean, I've, I've watched a lot of basketball, and it seems like these games, especially in conference season, I know this isn't conference season, but it seems like somehow these games always find a way to be close. The other team, you know, fig, you know figures out a way to go on a run or whatever it is, or the other team lets off the, off the gas and lets the other team get back in it. Somehow it always seems like that um, if Missouri's the one with the lead, it's always close and they've got to fight for the victory, but that just never happened in this game. Yeah, there was a, it was basically at that point when they went up by nearly 30 that I looked at the score and the time left on the clock and I was like, okay, I can relax, I think. Yeah. <laughs> it just seems very strange to relax right now, but I'm going to do it. Yep. But just yeah. does not happen very often. Yeah. Against especially a quality opponent. I, I We really don't know how good Xavier is yet. I don't think they're very good and they may not even make the tournament. I don't know, but it's still. It was just good to see uh, Missouri just destroy a Power Five opponent. Yeah, I guess they're not Power Five. Well, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean. Top one hundred, ca- high team. caliber. Yeah, team. It, anytime. I mean, I don't care what conference you're in. If you're, um, if you're efficient to some extent on both sides of the ball, and you know the metrics say you're a good team, those those are the games you want to win, especially at home. And they Missouri just cruised in this one. Um, with that win, they jumped up to 86th in the Kim Palm rankings, which is a pretty big jump, 10 points, uh, or 10 spots overall. And Xavier dropped pretty far. I think they dropped. They went from like 50-something to like high 60s or low 70s. Yeah, to, right now they're at 71. Wow. Um, and uh, the defensive efficiency numbers for Missouri uh, really improved. So they are now... 74th best in overall defensive efficiency and i knew that was going to happen like at halftime i was like xavier's offense is ranked high and we're shutting them down 
So this is really going to improve the numbers for Missouri. Xavier's offense is still ranked 45th in the country. So just it's almost like one of those weird. Uh, I know we've kind of drawn several comparisons to this game last year, but when we played at Utah last year, it's like one of those games where we just don't do anything well, even though we're we were a pretty good three point shooting team last year, mm-hmm. and uh, but we just couldn't make a single shot. It was almost like Xavier had a similar experience where they, they that, just could not put anything yep, together, exactly. and they probably were just like, "What's going on right now?" Turn the ball over more than they usually do. Yeah, I mean Missouri's stifling defense. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Missouri's defense is good now, and I will give Conzo Martin a lot of credit. They change it up how Jeremiah Tillman defends ball screens, and that was insanely successful. Um, before this game, he would kind of... I think I heard about this a little bit. Yeah, so when he would set a, when his man was setting a screen, he would kind of just hang out in between and not really commit one way or the other as far as like hedging on the um, ball handler or you know sticking with his man. So... Now, in this Xavier game, he basically formed the second part of a double team on every ball screen. And with his length, he was just able to disrupt the passing lanes. And then he recovered incredibly well back to his man, and the rotations were all on point and things like that. So um, it seems like they figured something out as far as defending the ball screen, which is something some a place where they have struggled so far this season. Mm-hmm. Now it's on film, so other teams can maybe prepare for that but Xavier may have you know game planned for a very different Jeremiah Tillman uh, as far as defense goes so that's uh it's always nice to uh hit somebody with uh something they're not expecting yeah I'm looking over the stats here to see if I missed anything noteworthy um no KJ Santos in this one um I've read that he re-aggravated his foot injury so that is really disappointing um although I saw some more debate online about where exactly he would fit into this team minutes-wise. Um, but at the same time, he would still just be a sophomore, so there's no real rush yeah. to get him playing time. Yeah, I don't think anybody was expecting him to be the star of the team this year or anything right. anyway. Um, but regardless of minutes, I mean, need to see that guy get healthy. I mean, he, he's just going to have more rust and rust piling up the more he sits so it's kind of disappointing but hopefully everything's okay with his foot mm-hmm. any other thoughts on the Xavier game I, it was just so fun yeah <laughs> I mean they, they that I would not be surprised if this is their most complete game they play all season I which think it probably hopefully will be we can match it a few times but I just don't think they'll exceed that Tillman being able to play 33 minutes. I mean, that that may be, out of all the stats on his stat line, that might be the most important one. Yeah, he, I mean, he finished the first half with zero fouls, I think, yeah. didn't he? Yeah, that's just that's so significant. And even in some, it's still some of his second half fouls were questionable, but it just didn't matter because he had zero going into it. Right. Um, I really enjoyed his little interview with the with uh, John Sunvold and company after the game. He, he was, was so just, happy. He was incredibly excited and just yeah so happy it's good to see yeah he just talked about just preparing really well for the game and just trying to have fun let the game come to him Mm -hmm. and i mean he's just he's so skilled for his size yet it seems like there's another level that he could reach right everybody talks about Oh yeah, there being another level. Yeah, he definitely has it, and it's so it's so fun and rewarding to 
follow these guys from their recruitment to the you know their first summer on campus to their freshman year and so on is because it's so fun to just see their development and it seems like we really maybe saw kind of a benchmark in, in Tillman's development in this game and I know he's not going to play this well every game but it's just fun to see these guys kind of figure it out and uh, the more you play the more experience you get that's why seniors are always you know so you know so important to your team is because they've had so many games under their belt and they've had so much time to to figure things out and uh, to get better look for ways to get better but it's just fun to see Tillman kind of look like he really kind of figured out you know that next step yeah now he just needs to make sure he knows how to pass out of a double team because he's going to see a lot (laughs) of double teams going forward he's already seeing a lot of them but now when teams see what he'll do with uh, single coverage they they're not going to be letting him off easy anymore i think that covers it for my thoughts for the xavier game yep so we will move on to a preview of the Bragging Rights game against Illinois. It is coming up very soon. It is this Saturday. Um, I'm ready to win one of these. <laughs> we got to win. We have to win this game. And I remember being so disappointed last year, especially with all of the added drama now that Tillman, that Tillman brought to the rivalry uh, last year. And now it's even worse with Javon Pickett and Mark Smith. Yeah. Uh, this game used to be like a national interest and it's kind of fallen off a little bit in the last few years because neither team has been all that great but this like recruiting drama really though does help it out a lot yeah. and i think both fan bases are are very interested and are very interested in the rivalry right now as well just as a whole well it kind of says a lot as far as national interest that this game is on big Ten network and it's not ridiculous and espn network yeah i think that may yeah, that's true, because I, I think ESPN wanted to put it in a different time slot, and since it's Illinois' the home team, they kind of were like, no, and we want to do it and, you know, at like a prime time slot on, on Big, Ten Net, uh, Big Ten Network, which is really frustrating. Yeah. Anyway, Missouri, as we all know, lost this matchup last year, 70-64. to 64. In that one, they turned the ball over 21 times. They shot 5 of 27 from 3, and that combination doomed them, basically. Um, I think they could have dealt with one or the other, but a high turnover number and shooting poorly from three, that was any any time last year's team did that, it was uh, basically a guaranteed loss. Um, as far as Illinois goes, they have um, only one loss where they were projected to win so far this season. They, their record's not great. It's four and seven, but only one of those losses was one that they expected to win and that was at home versus Georgetown so uh, kind of a big name program so it's not like the end of the world that they lost to Georgetown they're ranked 95th uh, currently in Ken Palm uh, sorry 96th as of as of this recording um, they do have a mutual opponent in Xavier uh, mutual with Missouri Illinois lost to Xavier um, 83 to 74 on a neutral floor so that's a good sign coming off a blowout of Xavier. Mm-hmm. They are ranked 105 on offense and 92nd on defense, which is incredibly similar to Missouri's numbers. It's actually really fascinating if you look at the Ken Palm profiles for both of these teams. Um, like I said, Illinois at 105 on offense and 92 on defense. Missouri is 111 on offense and 74 on defense. So they're very similar in the raw efficiency numbers but how they play their games are 
they could opposite. not be more different. Yeah. That's, I think that's what scares me about this game is who's going to be able to impose their style of play in this game because uh, Missouri's gotten better with the turnover game in the, in the last month or so, but if they uh, if they get aggravated by Illinois' quick guards, they, Illinois has really talented guards who will frustrate you, mm-hmm. and I'm afraid that's what's going to happen. And they're going to take. I'm afraid they're going to take advantage of Missouri's young, inexperienced guards, and they're going to turn the ball over a lot because they do force a lot of turnovers. Yeah, they are fifth in um, percentage turnover defense. So, which sets up for an incredibly frustrating game because it means they're going to turn the ball turn the ball over a lot and probably miss a lot of threes, and that would be obviously a devastating recipe. Yeah. Now, um, Illinois' defense is I would they're if they're not turning you over, you're going to be able to score because they're mediocre to bad as far as field goal percentage defense. Um, they're actually considerably bad uh, as far as defending two-pointers. Um, yeah, Tillman's going to have to have a solid game. He's yeah. going to have to get past all of the all of the drama. And I think he will because, I mean, he played in the game last year. Right. He's expecting it this time. He understands what to expect. Yes. So I, I think that the uh, the behind-the-scenes drama will be will be less this year, as at least for him. For, for Tillman, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, we may see I, – I would not be surprised if we see – mediocre or bad games from uh, Mark Smith and Javon Pickett because it'll be their first time and the crowd will not be happy to see them. Or maybe they'll get some fuel from it and play even better. Yeah. Probably maybe. not. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It just seems like when these guys kind of get thrust in it. I mean, let's be honest, the crowds that this Missouri team has seen so far this season have not been anything spectacular. Um, neutral court games and home games where have not they even a lot played of played a true road game. Um, yeah, Iowa State. Oh, yep, you're right. And that did not go well. That didn't go well. <laughs> it started off okay. Yeah. Um, it turned the ball over a lot in that one. But this crowd is going to be really energized, but half of the arena is going to be on Missouri's side. So they'll they'll have a lot of people yelling at them, but a lot of people cheering for them as well. Um, Illinois it definitely is going to try to speed up the tempo. They're 55th in um, adjusted tempo, and Missouri is the opposite. They are one of the actual, actually one of the very slowest pace teams in the entire country i think i did hear Conzo say that he wanted to speed up the tempo a little bit and i think they did play a little bit faster against xavier and i i mean it seemed to obviously work for them in that yeah, game i think i think they're going to be forced to speed up a little bit um which could lead to a lot of turnovers yeah um the when we saw xavier pinson kind of be a one-man press break and jordan geist is is decent at that as well um they're going to have to do that in this game. They're going to have to stay in control, but be decisive and be decisive with their actions when they're getting the ball up the court because um, Illinois is going to be pressuring them a lot. You think they'll press the whole game? I'm not sure. I meant to watch um, at least the highlights of last year's game, and I forgot to. Um, so I don't know how much of that they'll at least. There will be a guard in like defending the ball all the way down the court all the time. Um, whether they bring a trap or not, they, I'm, I'm guessing they will just, they're going to try to force as many turnovers out of Missouri as possible. I don't know why you wouldn't. However they will, however they can. So whether it's a full court man or some kind of full court trapping press, I think we'll, we'll see plenty of it. I'm just psyching myself up for 
like extreme anger in this game like nothing makes me more angry when you just can't get a shot up you know whenever yeah. you you turn the ball over there's just nothing more frustrating than that and yeah. i'm ex- just i'm just ready for it you know yeah um <laughs> yeah it's, it's frustrating <laughs> i mean <laughs> i i kind of i kind of agree with you like it it is incredibly frustrating but i think if they can just stay in control get the ball through the press you know I don't think, I think they can be safe with the ball in the half court. Mm -hmm. It's inbounding the ball, obviously, and just like getting there that is the big deal. So, and the stats bear out that Illinois, you can score on them if you can, you know, just handle the ball moderately well and get set up into your half court offense. So, and they also foul a lot. Illinois fouls quite a bit. So if they can get to the line and make their free throws, they've, Missouri's been a decent free throw shooting team so far this year. Um, look, I would like to see Jordan Geis get double digit free throws. Mm-hmm. Um, Jeremiah Tillman's been really good at the line, so hopefully he can continue that. Yeah, I feel like I say this every game, and it's just really obvious. But I feel like Tillman, especially this game, has to stay out of foul trouble because Illinois doesn't defend the two well. They don't really have anybody that can match up with Tillman offensively or defensively down right. low. So Tillman has to stay on the floor for us to win this game, I think, since I'm not expecting our guards to play super well. Yeah, and Illinois' offense is already bad at um, scoring in the paint. Um, their three-point shooting is much better than their two-point shooting. Um, they're yeah. the 33rd best team as far as uh, three-point percentage, which mirrors Missouri. Actually, their offense... They're very similar, like we said, but completely opposite. But um, Illinois is ranked 33rd. Missouri is ranked 35th in three-point percentage. Illinois is ranked 255th in two-point. Missouri, 282nd. So it's paradoxical. Yeah. Um, But that even, I mean, that just talks about how Missouri needs Tillman out there to just absolutely shut down their paint offense. Mm-hmm. And but they they are good at shooting the three. Um, they've got a sophomore guard, Trent Frazier. He's a um, good player. Really good. He's averaging 15 points per game for them, shooting 44% from three. They've got three players overall shooting above 40%, including their star freshman, um, Dosunmu. I think is how you pronounce that. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't tell you honestly. I've I followed him for a long time, even in his recruitment. I've read his name a lot in uh, my yes, head, and exactly. I just don't really need to pronounce it correctly in my head. So <laughs> pretty much, just like uh, that one guy. Yeah, but uh, they're really high on him. The fan base is high on him. He's averaging twelve points per game and four and a half rebounds. I think he was a five star recruit, wasn't he? Uh, he was highly kind of ranked fringe, okay. uh, between uh, I think he was a high four star. Yeah. He's going to be a, a frustrating player to play against for four years. Yeah. Um, it's just going to be intense. I mean, it always is. Yeah. It's always intense, high drama, and that's what makes sports interesting. Uh, but it also makes it more devastating when you lose. So. Yeah. Yeah. And it will most likely be a close game. Yeah, it is every year. Even when Missouri's been terrible and Illinois was actually pretty decent, they were still somehow close games. And when when Missouri was winning, when they were kind of riding on top of this yeah. rivalry, Illinois still made it close. Yeah, and, and Mizzou was good last year, and Illinois was awful, and we know what happened. So that was maybe what was so frustrating to me is just watching so many mysteries last year and i just remember being so heated last yeah. year it's just like we just like you know how much we trash talk illinois on twitter <laughs> yeah. it's like oh my god we lost to them like we're gonna have to hear this for a whole nother year yeah because 
it, no matter what happens, that's, I can't deal with this <laughs> again. The, yeah, the game on the court is the most important thing when you're talking about bragging rights as the name of this rivalry. Yes. And it is a rivalry yeah. at this and point. When you lose the basketball game, you can't say anything. Yeah. Because that's all they have to do is say, well, we beat you. Yeah. Like, <laughs> how we've, many, we've how many stolen years all in their players, now? but it doesn't matter if we yeah, can't beat them. Exactly. And how sweet would that be to beat them with a lot of players that used to play for them or be yeah. committed to them? It would yeah. be great. Yeah. That'd be fantastic. And I hope they win this one. <laughs> yep, I'm excited. Anything else for the Illinois preview? I think that's it. All right. Now that we have the serious stuff out of the way, we're going to do another whatever happened to. Last week, we talked about... What did we talk about? Torrin Jones. Yes. And we kind of recapped his path from a recruit to Missouri all the way to... Uh, professional league in Saudi Arabia. So this week, um, changing it up a little bit, producer Cameron had some good ideas. We're going to make it a little bit more of a game, a guessing game for Kyle. I'm going to reveal information about a former Tiger slowly, try not to reveal too much at a time, and see how long it takes for Kyle to figure out what player we're talking about. Is uh, You were going to explain this to me. What is there like a year parameter here? I... The furthest we will ever go back in this, there may be at times a player recruited by Mike Anderson. Okay. But but played during the Frank Haith years? The oldest we'll go back is sort of that overlap. Okay. I can deal with that. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you a hint. This is kind of an easy one. Okay. But I'm going to try to make it hard by how I reveal the information. Okay. Because there's a few things I could say that would give it away very quickly. So, the first clue I'm going to give you is that they are originally from Memphis, Tennessee. And they helped Team USA win a gold medal at the 2011 FIBA 16 and under championship. And this player averaged a little over five points and just under five rebounds per game in the 2011 16 and under championship. I want to hear your thoughts as we go. Like, what, do, what are you thinking? You got any idea so far? So if they were in the 16 and under league in 2011. There you go. There you go. They would have been a recruit in roughly 2013. Okay. Uh, is it a guard? Uh, Am I allowed no. to ask no. questions like this? Uh-uh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so... Next bit of, uh, next little clue. This player chose Missouri after taking visits to Tennessee, Georgetown, and Michigan State. I could not confirm that they had offers from all of those places, but they did take official visits to all of those schools, Tennessee, Georgetown, and Michigan State. And this player averaged 5.8 points per game as a freshman for Missouri. Nikas Webster-Jan? Incorrect. That's a good guess. Um, When this player eventually decided to transfer from Missouri, Missouri, this was an interesting stat that I did not know. Missouri blocked him from transferring to any SEC or Big 12 school, as well as Arizona and Illinois. So 25 schools in total they blocked him from transferring to. Oh, Jonathan Williams. The third. You got it. I should have, oh, I should have known that way before I did. For some reason, <laughs> I was, I don't know. 
I was thinking of like more obscure players. Yeah. But whenever you said that, I remember that happening when he wanted to transfer. Ah. So uh, some more some more fun little stats here. I'll, I'll give Kyle the sheet with my and stats. I remember on him it now. that you were talking about it being a pretty like heralded recruit, and I was like, who did they get in 2013? Yeah. Like we weren't even good then. <laughs> so uh, th- I wonder if this would have helped you. If you uh, maybe I should have switched these two things but his father when remarking on the transfer said that um, the required redshirt year that you would have to take as a transfer would be a good opportunity to quote get stronger work on ball skills and get that give that knee a chance to heal so that was another little clue because remember Jonathan Williams had some knee issues I honestly um, probably should have got this after you said he's from Memphis thought you might just immediately say but if I knew the year and that he was from Memphis, I should have known it yeah. was him. Um, and I, I kind of figured this would be an easier one, but the the rest of this is kind of what I wanted to get to because it's a really interesting story. And yeah. if you're listening to this, you probably know most of this, but just to recap, he um, played two seasons at Missouri, then transferred, played two seasons at another school, and that school was Gonzaga. And in his junior season... The Zags uh, started the season 29-0 and before losing in the last game of the regular season to BYU. And uh, they were one seed that year in the NCAA tournament and made it to the national championship game where they lost to North Carolina. And I remember watching that and watching mm-hmm. Jonathan Williams specifically during that NCAA tournament run. And it, he played really well, and it was really fun to watch. Yeah. I remember just his whole career at Gonzaga was just like, Wow, this guy played at Mizzou. Yeah, and he was such a good fit there. They yeah. used him really well. Yeah, he was so good and good for him for transferring to a better situation for yeah. him because he he did some great things. Yeah, I mean his skills would have been pretty much wasted. Yeah, Mark yeah. Few is a phenomenal coach. Yeah. Um, then in a senior season in Gonzaga, with Gonzaga, they went uh, twenty-seven and four in the regular season. Of course, they won their conference tournament. And this is interesting. They won two games as a four seed in the NCAA tournament before getting upset by Florida State, who had just beaten Missouri and number one seed Xavier. Florida State went off last year. Yeah. So in an alternate timeline, there is there exists a scenario where Missouri wins two games in the NCAA tournament and plays Jonathan Williams and Gonzaga. Interesting. In the Sweet 16. So that would have been, yeah. Wow. So if you're listening from that alternate dimension where that happened, please tweet at us. <laughs> <laughs> we want to know how that went. Um, after his senior year, he went undrafted in the 2018 NBA draft, but he was invited to participate in the NBA Summer League by the Lakers. Um, he got a short-term contract with the Lakers. He played in six games or appeared in six games for them before being released in October, but then he was immediately signed to a two-way contract with the Lakers and um, now he spends most of his time in the G League with the South Bay Lakers, where he's averaging just under 19 points and 10 rebounds per game. That's crazy. Honestly, just what I remember of him when in his time at Mizzou was I just always think remember thinking he's not a natural scorer, but he's being forced to be that person because there's nobody else that can score. And I was wrong. I, I, I think he is a natural scorer. Maybe he just was a little underdeveloped and just didn't have anybody around him but i remember he was thinking, definitely relied on way too much oh absolutely those first year mm-hmm. a couple of years um but i remember him having a few explosive games that in his sophomore year um at missouri but it kind of still surprises me that he's averaging 19 points a game in the g league mm-hmm. i mean did they not play any defense or 
Or is um, it just, kinda, is he, is that's that good? why I found um, Alizé Johnson. Yeah, because he, he's averaging uh, like 18 or something yeah, too. But those two guys are doing remarkably well. Cool. I mean, even considering the competition. Um, I was looking at the overall like points per game leaders, and most of them are guards. They're getting a ton of shots per game. Um, Johnson and um, Williams, they're both doing it efficiently, not shooting a ton, but still they're not putbacks. Yeah, they're not high volume scorers. They're just efficient post scorers, which that translates, I feel like, to any level of basketball. So I would say I'd say Jonathan Williams, although he's he's even undersized for the NBA four. I don't. I didn't specifically look at his three-point shooting in the G League, but if he if he improves his three-point shooting, same with Alize Johnson, they uh, stretch four player in the NBA that can rebound like that is highly coveted. So, mm-hmm. but I thought that was a fun one, Jonathan Williams. He I, I he seemed like such a good guy, and really wish the timing had been different for his time at Missouri. I mean, yeah, if he's if he's born three years earlier or three years later he's a huge piece of a really good missouri team instead of the best player on some of the worst missouri teams ever Mm -hmm. yeah he did seem like a great guy i remember having a twitter exchange with him we both liked kid cuddy so that's pretty (laughs) pretty cool yeah he's got to be a good guy then absolutely well um anything else for this week i think i think we've i think we've pretty well covered it yeah All right. Well, that is all we have. Then we will be right back here next week. We will break down a win. We're going to break down a win over Illinois. And we're going to look ahead to uh, Missouri's bowl matchup. We're going to switch things back to football for a week, uh, looking at their matchup with Oklahoma State. Kyle, will you tell them where they can find us? Yes, I sure can. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play Music, and Spotify. You can tweet us at Mizzou Sports Pod, and you can email us at MissouriSportsPod at gmail.com. And you can find me on Twitter at C underscore Albert 08. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll see you next week.